Um, I want to start off by um, putting this moment in your heads as clear as, as I'm able to. Okay, I work like that. I think it's better when you can see it. And I think this is one of these stories in the Bible that it helps us to see. So this is a bunch of people in the Bible who have been traveling around since they left um, Egypt and just been these, these poor wandering sort of souls. And you've got these so the cultural landscape is that there's dotted about everywhere. There are these little mini kingdoms. Kingdoms is a theme in this story. These little Game of Thrones-esque world that these people live in. But these are the people without a home in this, in this world. They are traveling through. And everybody's got these nice little spots. And they've got these big walls, except the Israelites who are hanging on for dear life. They've spent 40 years camping. Camping... I love camping, but after two or three days, you're done, aren't you? Two or three days, you want to get back home. These people have been camping for 40 years, and there are, so the scholars say, about two million of them. Can you imagine the logistics? I am tearing my hair out at my five, gang, when I go camping, but two million. And all this while, they are holding on to this promise. You're going to have this amazing land. You're going to inherit this beautiful kingdom. Can you imagine like the frustration that comes along with that? And then they get to this point. So this is where we're at. This is sort of what's, what's been bringing them here. They've got to this point on the banks of the Jordan where they've got all this behind them. They've got like, yes, we're heading this way and we've got this promise and we've been hanging on for 40 years and now all the older ones have died off. That was the prophecy. And now we're going to get to inherit the land. And they get there and they're faced with this river. And if you noticed in the text, the river was not just as it would normally be, the Jordan, we'll come into that a little bit later on, it was in flood. It was massive. They all get there, and then they face this obstacle, these two million campers. How do we get across here? And if we get across here, remember what the spy said a couple of weeks ago? There's giants, there's people that are going to do us in over there, and there's big walled cities. You know, these people are just in this conflict. There's everything has been everything about our past has said you're headed this way. Everything is everything said that. And and but everything in their present reality says the road ends here. This this is this is gonna stop you in your tracks. And then one morning Joshua gets up and says we're gonna go. We're gonna cross this thing. And everybody's kind of excited and, and the priests walk out. This is how it's gonna happen. The priests are gonna walk out. They're gonna dip their toes in the banks of the Jordan, and the water's going to stop. You're all going to walk across. You're going to pick up some stones, because that's what you do when you cross a dry-bedded river, isn't it? And we're going to cross safely to the other side, and we're going to enter the promised land. We're going to enter this peaceful, promised land with homes that we didn't build, overflowing with milk and honey. That's the story. And what you should be asking me, especially if you're new to church, if you've been at church a while, but if you're new to church, you should be asking me, so what? what? And it's the question we've asked every week so far. What do I do with a story like that? Ash, I have got bills to pay. I have got a mortgage the size of I don't know what to think about. I've got children coming out of my ears. I've got a career to think about. I've got a life structure. I've got philosophies. I'm picking up on Twitter every day, engaging my mind. Why would I listen to this quaint, weird little story about an ancient bunch of people crossing a river. I'm going to give you two reasons to stay with me. Okay, one is a reason if you're, if you're brand new to church, really. One is a reason for that, and the other one is a reason if you've been around church for a while. The first one 
if you're new to church, is because we all want a perfect space. And I don't just mean, wouldn't it be nice to have a living room that was tidy for once. I mean, we all, like, not just peripheral, but deep down in our human bones, in our DNA, deep down within us, we long for a perfect space. We long for something uh, that is perfect. And you only need to look through your history books uh, to see that we can't get it, to see that it's hard for us to get. I, um, I heard a song on Thursday morning uh, on Absolute Radio, not Absolute Radio 90s because I'm trying to be better than that, um, but a song on Absolute Radio by a band called The Killers, which incorporates this idea. So of, of, all, the, of all the groups of people in the last couple of hundred years that have tried to create a perfect space and got nearest, perhaps America, perhaps the USA have got the nearest, or maybe they, you know, the land of the free, maybe they would say that they have. This is a, a song by The Killers that is a bit of an ode to that dream and that desire we have to live in this perfect space and our inability um, to quite get there, the fact that it's just such a constant journey. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it out. I'm going to practice reading this out at home. I, I, de- I, developed, I, try and de- I, try, I developed the rhythm accidentally. So if that happens, please, uh, please forgive me. It's called Land of the Free by the Killers. Can't, wa- can't wipe the windblown smile from across my face. It's just the old man in me washing his truck at the Sinclair station in the land of the free, and there's an O there in brackets, I won't do that. His mother, Adeline's family, came on a ship, cut coal and planted a seed, down in them drift mines of Pennsylvania, in the land of the free. Land of the free, land of the free, I'm standing crying in the land of the free. When I go out in my car, I don't think twice, but if you're the wrong color skin, you grow up looking over both your shoulders, in the land of the free. And we got more people locked up than the rest of the world. White, right here in white, red, and blue. I'm standing crying in the land of the free. Incarceration's becoming big business. It's harvest time out on the avenue. Land of the free. Land of the free. Move on, there's nothing to see in the land of the free. So how many daughters, tell me how many sons, do we have to put in the ground before we just break down and face it? We got a problem with guns in the land of the free. Down at the border, they're gonna put up a wall, concrete and rebar steel beams, high enough to keep all those filthy hands off, off our hopes and our dreams. People who just want the same things we do in the land of the free. Land of the free, land of the free, I'm standing crying in the land of the free. It's, it's one, every, every now and again when you're a preacher, these, these things just come your way. And I was listening to it on Thursday morning, I thought, man, that just, doesn't that just encapsulate this struggle that we have? We really want this, deep in the bones of this song, we really want this perfect space. And we're trying desperately to get it, but it never quite works out. We're longing for it. This story, in fact, this book, the Bible, is all about, it's not all about, It's a lot about the idea of a perfect space and people trying to get into it. Genesis, perfect space. Right through the Old Testament, perfect space. Jesus comes, perfect space. Revelation, perfect space. But here's the the reason you should listen. This story, and thinking about our struggles with trying to get that perfect space in in our lives, this perfect space comes by faith. 
It's something, it's something that is different to everything else that is out there in the whole world. These people are going to inherit this promised land, this beautiful, perfect space by faith. That's the first reason you should, you should listen. Second one is because we need to know, and this is, this is if you've been in church for a bunch of years, I think this might be helpful. We need to know what saving faith looks like. This has been a, a good hit for me this week uh, when I've thought about this stuff. How, how do you self-describe when somebody asks you um, if, you're a, if, you're a, if you go to church or if you're a Christian or not? How do you, what, what is the language that you use? I often use, I say something like, I'm a person of faith. And I'm going to change that after today because I, <laughs> I realize it's not quite perfect. Because everybody has faith. Everybody has faith out there. And I think, I tried to think about this, I think we can divide the idea of faith up in a couple of different ways. I think you've got, you've got faith in yourself, you've got faith in other people, and you've got faith in something else out there, maybe a God. I think you can divide it up in, into those three or four categories. And I reckon, well, I know that as a Christian, sometimes when we use language like, um, I don't know if I've got enough faith for that. Actually, that could be that I don't think I've got enough faith in myself to do that, or I don't think I've got faith in you lot to do that, or I don't think I've got enough faith in the good people of Wakefield to do that. And I think sometimes as Christians we get this stuff muddled up, and we're going to explore what, what saving faith is. Here's a quote, uh, a tweet from Keller, another one that came out this week. It's not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. So I'm going to do three things. And they're going to take about five minutes each. So if you're in the younger group, you can sort of watch out for that. First thing I need to do is I think I need to explain what saving faith is. Second thing I'm going to try and do is I'm going to try and suggest why, why faith, saving faith, is really hard to find today. That's what I think. I think it's hard to find today. And the third thing I'm going to suggest, if you're new to church, why saving faith makes a lot more sense than you think. So those are the three things. So the first thing, uh, what saving faith is. So back to the story and try and uh, have in your minds uh, these people at the side of the banks of the Jordan and the sort of problem that they've got. It's a, it's a huge problem and they've, the text is really helpful here. And what I kind of want us to think about is what would, how, what would you do if you, were in this, if you were in this moment and you're faced with this problem? I think the author is really helpful. He says, they camped there three days. So he puts it in your mind. They've had three days to look at this, at this river and, and think about how they're going to get across it. That's, that's a lot of thinking time, I think, when you're faced with a river. The other thing that it says is that the river is in flood. So I did a bit of digging around. This, this river ordinarily is not that big. It's 100 feet, 10 feet deep, something like that. But that's not when God brings them to cross this river. God brings them to cross it when it just looks terrifying. So you've got all these people. It also talks about a bunch of, I think it's 40,000 fighting men that are out there. These guys that are just ready to go. And you can almost imagine it, can't you? These go-getting people are like, right, this is the job. Now we've got to get across the Jordan. There's also going to be people there who are going to be like, well, let's... Let's have a think about this. If we went later on in the year, maybe we could get across 
you know, these people be planning it out and thinking it through. They'll, they'll, have, they'll have been on the banks of the Jordan and they'll have been working this stuff through and thinking, right, how do we, how do we deal with this? And, you know, if ever I've watched a film and there's fighting men in it, they're like ready to go. They've got, you've got, you've got this sort of scene. They've got 40 years behind them. They're ready to pile in. They're ready to do something and get through. And yet God says to them, well, let's have a look. What does God say to them? When you see the ark of the covenant, I think it's the next couple of verses. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord, your God, and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move from your positions and follow it. Then you will know which way to go since you have not been this way before. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. What does God ask these people who are ready just to get involved and act and you know, frustrated out of their minds to do? He asked them to wait and look at the ark. You've, you've ever, had that, ever had that moment in your life when you've been, I've had this lots in my life, where you've been ready to be part of the team that helps out. I was away on an adventure week and I was like, I can, I can, you know, it was about building bridges and crossing rivers and all that stuff. And I was at the front, piled in, ready to go. And, and somebody tapped on my shoulder and said, Ash, could you collect some firewood, please? And you get that hit of, okay, so I'm not to be involved at the front of this little, little storyline. That's kind of the hit that these people had. God says to them, we're going to cross this river in flood. But you're all going to stand back there and you're going to focus and when you re- if, you re- if you just go back home and read, read this for yourselves, read through the text, it's quite clunky text. I don't want to diss the author, but it just comes around, it bangs on about the ark, look at the ark, the ark does this, the ark do- does that. It's ark-centric. It says to these people who are stood a thousand feet back, it says, we're going to cross this river, but you are going to not be looking at anything else that is going on in this moment. You're not going to be wrestling with how you can get across this. These waters are going to stand up on end or break or whatever it is, and you are going to be focused on the Ark of the Covenant. You're going to look at that. You're going to be thinking about, as you teeter through this river, about the promises of God. That, that is what saving faith is. Saving faith is that when you reach the moment in your life when it feels like the roads come to an end. When you're at the junction and you're like, which way do I go? When you are in the trauma of your life, when you are in the chaos of your life. We have this image of faith, it's just a wishy-washy thing. Faith is in those moments, staring at, being made to focus on the promises of God. How How do you do when that stuff comes around for you? When it's the rubbish stuff, when it's the end of the road stuff, when it's the illness, or when it's the job loss, or when it's whatever else it is, I'll be honest, looking back, I go, I go all over the place. And what does, what does saving faith look like? What's going to get these people across this river? Not their own actions, but their focus on the promises of God. This Ark of the Covenant, this will get them across. And they zoom their eyes on it. It's a strange thing. The other thing you notice about saving faith, what does God ask them to do? I think most people would want to think that faith was was been right in the middle of it. God says to them, stand back a thousand feet. It's a strange thing to do, isn't it? It's a strange thing. What is God doing there? He's giving them the best view of him in the chaos. At this point in the story of Israel, this 40-year wandering, 
where they come to the really tough stuff, God says, what we're going to do right now is we're going to cross this river by faith. But what you're going to do right now is you're going to be made to look at me and where I'm taking you. How often, how often do you do that in your, in your Christian life? When you, when you come to the junction, how often do you, are you able, it's so hard, isn't it, to, to say to yourself, I'm going to take a step back here. I'm not going to do any more of this stuff until I can see my God, this person who I've put all my hope in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop all that stuff. I'm not going to trust my own instincts. I'm not, I'm not going to dive in and get involved. I'm not going to be thinking about this problem. I'm going to take a right big step back. I'm going to join the Israelites, and I'm going to make sure that I can see God. What does God say? You're going to go away that you've never gone before. How hard is that to do in everyday life? How often do we do it? That is saving faith. Faith is not this wishy-washy sort of generic term that we can jump on every now and again. Saving faith is having our eyes focused on God. Saving faith is being out of our comfort zone for God's purposes and having our eyes zoned in on Him um, to get through. Saving faith is dropping everything to make sure that you've got your eyes on God. Saving faith is coming to the end of yourself. It's coming to the, the bit of life that you can't get through, the trauma, the chaos, the horror, whatever else it is, and being zoned in on the promises of God and that being enough to get you through that saving faith. And maybe if you're still listening and you hear that that's faith, you're thinking, well, why on earth should I bother with that? That's not why I exist. That's a horror show, Ash. I don't want to commit to that. Why, should I, why on earth should I choose a faith life? I've got to tell you, one of the things uh, that Jesus said when he came, and he came looking for faith, he said, oh, faith, as he looked around, he was like, man, faith is hard to find. He, he went to places where I think he, you would expect to find faith, in his own disciples, in his hometown, amongst religious leaders, and he kept saying, there's no faith. Here, there's little faith here. One of, the, one of the mantras of today, and I've got in my notes, uh, tiptoe carefully through this next bit. One of the mantras of today's society and culture, and maybe you've observed this, is just believe in yourself and anything's possible. Um, if you go and watch a kid's show or anything like that, and they sing into you, one of the songs that will, they will gaze back at you and sing is, I believe, you know, I believe I can change the future, and if I just believe in my, it'll be something like that, and your, your heart will be moved by it, and you'll be stirred by it. And this is, this is something that, so I'm not dissing it altogether, this is something I, I promote to my own nearest and dearest. I'd say, yes, you need to believe in yourself. But if, if believing in yourself becomes the ultimate thing, and in our society, if you have a look around, this message is banged at you from every angle. If, if it becomes an ultimate thing, then faith in something else, faith in God, will become impossible for you. If all of your faith is in yourself, if that's your ultimate go-to, if it's I need to knuckle down and get through this at all costs, it's just on me, then faith in God is going to be hard, or faith in God it's going to be impossible. I want to tell you about two people that Jesus met along the way, and it's Luke 
17, Luke 18, and he meets them one after the other, and one finds faith, and one doesn't have faith. So the first guy is what's come to be known as the rich young ruler. You might, you might know a little bit about this story. And he sort of comes along, and he, sort of the disciples clock this guy, and they're like, oh, this guy's amazing. He knows, he knows the law inside out. He's young, he's got money, he's got it all together. And Jesus asks him one question. It's a tough question. He says, because he's asking what faith is, what salvation is, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? He says, sell all the things that you've got and come and follow me. And this guy, this guy goes away sad. Why does he go away sad? Why does he not get the answer he's looking for? Because all of his faith, all of his faith was wrapped up in his self, what he could do, the money he could earn, or the, the laws that he could keep. It was all wrapped up in him. Jesus meets another guy later on, just down the road. He's in Jericho as it happens, and he meets a guy who is blind. He's a beggar called Bartimaeus, and this guy is not the, not the kind of guy that these disciples want along. In fact, everybody's telling him to shut up. Maybe you know this story. Bartimaeus is screaming out. He's crying out that Jesus would talk to him, and everybody tries to, to hush him up, and he, Jesus says to him, what, well, what do you want? And he says, I want to see. And Jesus is able to turn to him and look at him and say, your faith has made you well. Why do you think that was? Well, he didn't have a whole heap of faith in himself. And when Jesus came along, he realized that he needed to put all of his hope in him. And that was saving faith. Jesus said, whoever finds his life, and this is one of the hardest verses that you'll read in the Bible, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me, for my sake, will find it. These people stood on the banks of the Jordan, were beginning to learn that to get into the promised land, somewhere perfect, they were going to have to lose a lot of themselves and follow faithfully. And again, I think the question that you have is, why should I do any of that? You're making this faith thing sound less attractive by the minute. I've got one more trick up my sleeve, one more point to make about why we should think about faith and what saving faith is. This is the third point. Saving faith is not an abandonment of logic but it's holding on to something that has happened. Let me just read some of the text. 3.7 says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know I am with you as I was with Moses. And then on to 4.1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose 12 men from among the people, one for each tribe, and tell them to take 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priest stood, and to carry them over with you, and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. On to verse uh, 6, to serve as a sign among you in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the floor of the Jordan was cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. This tells us, this gives us a, a massive, helpful insight into God, who He is and how He works. God does act 
to demonstrate saving power. You can see this in the text. He, d- he will act to demonstrate saving power, but he won't do this all of the time. How do we know this? Because he says to the people in the story here, I want you to grab some stones and I want you to pull them up and put them on the side of the bank and I want you to remember how I have acted. That is going to be the mark of your faith. So we read into that, we say, well, faith, faith here is not just about, it's not just a blind jump, it is about holding on to and remembering what God, have, what God has done. Can you, can you imagine the scene generations later on? Israel, we're going to face trouble after trouble after trouble. And you can maybe imagine, can't you, some of, of the older statesmen of, of the group seeing some of the young children really struggling with, like, why is God asking us to do this? Where is God? I'm sure God's not here. And then this um, older member of the community drags these children along to these stones and says, put your hands on these stones. Hold on. To these stones. These stones were taken out of that river when God acted to save his people. And this nation, on the back of that, that story of faith, could go on again to face an uncertain future because they could look back at what God had done in their past. That was their faith. They could look at the stones and go, God has acted, this is how God works. He gave them Joshua. He said to them in 3.7, he said, I'm gonna raise him up and I'm gonna make it really clear to you today that you can follow this guy. I'm gonna make that really clear to you. You can follow this guy. We're gonna pull some stones out of that river and you're gonna be able to hold on to this guy and these stones. I'm gonna make that clear and you're gonna need to remember these things. That is what faith is. One of my favorite things, that we do at Christchurch is when we take communion together. And it's a bit, to use a trendy word, orcs sometimes, because there's loads of kids around and, there's off, and everyone's like, oh, should the kids be in? Are they gonna be noisy? All that, all that kind of thing. But one of my favorite moments in the whole world is when I'm sat down and I hear a younger child or somebody new to church say, what do, what do these things mean? Why do we? Why do we take this bread and this wine? And you think, right, what can I tell them? And you can say, this means that our choice of life, our faith is not us just jumping in the dark. It's not us just making random choices. It's not just wishy-washy faith. We are holding on to something that God has given to us. And when, I, and when I look at the cross, when we look at the cross, it is a picture for us that God has moved to ask, to act, and he asks us to remember what he's done. So we look back and we can face the future. I remember when I was in my, I was a bit lost in my teens. I was very lost in my teens. And I was again also quite lost in my 20s. Lost in every sense in my teens. Uh, And in my 20s it was really just uh, spiritually empty, spiritually lost. And I had this event. I was looking for a shortcut across Wakefield. I enjoy a shortcut. I'm never satisfied that I found the best way. And I made another shortcut across Wakefield. And I was going through uh, St. John's. And there is a a Catholic church in in St. John's. And there is this huge crucifix um, right, right on the side of the 
path, and there was something had happened in Wakey, which meant that my car came to a halt right outside uh, this huge crucifix. And I was, as it happens, I was lost. I was nowhere with my faith. And I don't know how much God's hand was on this moment, whether he directed things so I would be forced to look at this crucifix for about an hour. Um, but I did, and I was there under this crucifix for about an hour, and I realized that I was making my faith about people, other Christians, um, traditions, a bunch of other stuff, and what my faith really needed to be about was what happened on that cross. Could I hold on to that? And here's kind of the good news. Here's Here's the reason this is worth listening to. It's because there's lots of areas of the church you could point to and go, yeah, I'm not sure about that, not sure about this. But when you look at Jesus, when you look at his life, when you look at his death, when you look at those actions, when you're caused to remember that, and there's nothing bad in that, there's no way of turning against that, or at least that's what I've found in my life. That is what faith is. It is holding on to something that God has done. Faith is facing the impossible barrier. This sea, this, it's not a sea, is it? This river in flood that these people came to. Faith is facing the impossible barrier. Faith is the illness that comes along, facing the illness that comes along, facing the joblessness that comes along, facing the habits that you can't break that come along and being able to get through them because you are focused in tightly on the promises of God. Faith is being able to look at the, down the barrel of a stormy future because you can look back with confidence at a cross, at a God who has acted. We are descendants with a great inheritance. Our ancestors give clues to the promises that we inherit. And a faithful people enter a perfect place through the actions of a great God. Let's not forget it.